Does the current political banter sound like an old record to you? This is the True Disciples Podcast, where everything you know about Reformation is about to get a radical makeover in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your True Disciples host is Dr. Kevin Baird, Senior Pastor of Legacy Church in Charleston, South Carolina. And now, the True Disciples Podcast. Welcome back to the True Disciples Podcast for episode 18 of the Reformation Archive. We continue with our current series titled House Hunter. So let us begin with part one of To Do and Die. What are you looking for? And are you looking for that which, which God calls a church? And I think in the day we're living in, especially in America, I believe that God himself is seeking out his church. Now, we all have opinions, don't we? We all have preferences. We all have ideas. We all have interpretations, emphases of what church should be like. Some of that, I think, has an appropriate place. Obviously, uh, churches are different. It's even, they're even different in the Bible. In fact, we may get to this. I may explore this a little bit more in the future. But, you know, the church at Jerusalem was totally different than the church at Antioch. And those were basically the first couple of churches that we see arise in the book of Acts. The church of Jerusalem had a very... Jewish component to it. The believers there were practicing uh, going to temple still and they would practice their old Judaism while at the same time they were beginning to practice their new Christianity and so they were in the temple as well as participating in church life. That's how it worked at Jerusalem for many many years. When God birthed the church at Antioch that was almost almost exclusively a Gentile church. And Gentiles, most of us in this room, maybe all of us are Gentiles, and so we have no Jewish framework. And I'm not getting into whether or not you should have a little Jewish framework. None of us have it by culture. And so when Antioch came on the scene, all of a sudden it was this Gentile expression of worship that was totally different than what was happening at Jerusalem. And there was this sort of tension that existed between these these two churches, these two expressions of God's, God's church in the earth, and Barnabas had to be sent to check it out. And if you remember the story in your Bible reading, Barnabas went down to see if this thing was valid or not. And so he checks it out. He comes back to Jerusalem and he tells the brethren, hey, what's going on there is of God, so we're not going to mess with it. But yet they were totally different cultures and expressions. I tell you that simply to set it up that there will always be this element of difference. Not, not every church will be exactly the same. I understand you can go to some denominational type churches and if you went to one church, you've been to them all. It's just the face up front may change. But they even use the same lectionary and so you'll be hearing the same sermon out of the lectionary that day. I, you know, that's how they do it. There may be some merit in that. I'm not here to analyze that this morning. But most of the time, if you go across a city, a metropolitan area, you're going to find churches that look different in numerous ways, and yet they can still all be a valid Orthodox Christian church. While at the same time, in America, we're facing a moment where there are some differences that are significant, and they begin to tip us over into an unorthodox ability. And so... And so that's what we're beginning to explore. What is it that God says must, must happen? What is it that God says must take place in order for it to be 
a valid church. Now, I'd like to do a quick review. We've already had four lessons, and I know for some people, if you've been here for all four, you're saying, please, oh Lord, let him go fast. And I'm going to go fast, all right? So let's just treat this sort of as a moment of review to get our mind back in it. Remember, I used the word what? The big word I used was ecclesiology. Remember that word? And that word means basically studying what the church practices and what the church looks like. Don't be afraid of that word. It's a very important word that we've lost. But in our last four lessons, remember, I talked about that we've got a problem in America. I'm not going to go over all our challenges, but we've got some problems. And remember the passage on Hezekiah, who, when he came into power, had to open the door to the temple because the door had been shut, the lights had been turned out, and it took them months to clean out the debris that was in the temple in order to get it back to what God wanted it to be. And so I think in some ways that's what we need to do. We need to open up the door of the church and let's clean out the debris. And let's make sure the church is operating according to God's design. The second message we talked about, what is a church? You remember the Greek word for church was ekklesia. Remember that word? Ekklesia, a very important word, the called out ones. And we spent a little time talking about all the things that word meant with regards to what is a church. Just on the basis of the word that Jesus used. This isn't our word. It wasn't made up along the way. Jesus used the word church. It's important. Then that third week, a hurricane. We talked about building a house on the rock and not the sand. Because it fit into what we all had faced. A church, a house for the storm. A house for a hurricane. What is a church built upon? And then... The last time we were together, we talked about our identity. What does it mean to be the church? Because we've all heard the phrase, you know, uh, don't just go to church, be the church. What does it mean to be the church? It has to deal with identity, and the American church is in an identity crisis. I'm not sure if the American church thinks it's a church or a Fortune 500 company. Are we a church? Or are we Walmart or a restaurant? So we have to understand our identity, all right? Now, out of that last time, I told you we have to parse who we are, which is our identity, from what we do, which is our mission. If you don't understand who you are, you'll never understand what it is you should be doing. Most of us jump immediately into what should we be doing. And so when it comes to church, we instantly go to do. What should we be doing? But you can't get there until we nail down identity, which is why we dealt with that last time. But this time I am going to deal a little bit with the mission because we need to understand what we are to do as a church. How many of you remember last time I spoke, I used a quotation from Shakespeare and Hamlet, remember? Remember what that was? What was it? To be or not to be? That is the question. That really is the question. So I figured since as long as we're quoting ancient works, I'll go ahead and quote another one. Because only an ancient work kind of nerd like myself would do this. How many of you have ever heard, read, or maybe quoted from Alfred Lord Tennyson, 
the poem he wrote entitled The Charge of the Light Brigade. You ever heard that? Probably back way back in high school. For some of us, back in the dinosaur days, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, Ed Harn, Wally Gabriel, when dinosaurs roamed the earth, we were in high school, in our English class, reading such things. The Charge of the Light Brigade was a poem that he wrote concerning the Crimean War, and it was a poem about a desperate charge of a group of soldiers that were basically charging into this situation that almost assured them of certain death. And in the poem, I won't read to you the whole poem, but you've heard it, I know most of you have heard it, where he writes, cannons to the left of me, cannons to the right of me, cannons in front of me. And then all of a sudden, he begins to say, there's is not to make reply, theirs is not to reason why, theirs is but to do and die into the valley of death rode the 600. We all probably have heard that quoted at some part point, not knowing where it came from. But Tennyson wrote it describing the life of a soldier in a desperate battle. Theirs isn't to ask questions. Theirs isn't to reason about it. There isn't to, to suddenly just, just stop and evaluate their circumstance to see if this is what they really want to do. Theirs is but to do and to die. It's also the life, I think, in some ways, of a Christian. We're called soldiers. Remember, we talked about the militancy. Part of our nature is militancy, is the body of Christ. And we're soldiers. And when it comes to our commander, who is the Lord, when he gives us a command, there may be environmental concerns that look to us like cannons. There's, there's problems in front of me, problems on each side of me. But I'm not here to reason why. I am simply here to obey. And if it costs me everything, I'm still to obey. Do you believe that? Because let me tell you, that's a part of the gospel. That really is a part of the gospel. Part of the gospel isn't negotiating out with God what it means to obey him. I'll obey you today, but let's negotiate this. No, we go forward despite our environment. And so with some, some solemnity, I guess I just decided to use another uh, a poem, <laughs> poem, hijacking another poem title and uh, simply say that Today's message is to do and die. Not die necessarily, although there are people who will die for the sake of the gospel, but ours is to die to our own self-will. Ours is to die to our, own, to our own preconceptions. Ours is to die to our own, you know, to our own wants and desires when they come into conflict with what God says is his will. This is a part of a gospel. It's the foreign part of the gospel that we don't talk about much, and it probably is worthy of its own exploration. But I want to talk about that in relation to church life and what God's looking for in his local church. So let's read some passages out of the scripture and just sort of set this up. I'm going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your technology, you're welcome to follow along your Bibles or just look here on the screen. This is the passage it's interesting where this passage is slid in in Hebrews chapter 10. Let me just, let me talk just a little bit about this. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is talking about apostasy from the faith. 
he's beginning to deal with. He dealt with it some in Hebrews chapter 6, but then he picks it up again in Hebrews chapter 10, and he begins to deal with apostasy from the faith, that there were believers, Christian believers in those days who had been saved out of their Judaism or completed, maybe that's a better way to put it, uh, from their Judaism, and now they were facing hardship, they were facing persecutions and challenges, and they were wanting to go back to their old ways. Some of them were wanting to give up the faith altogether, and some of them were wanting to go back to their Judaism. In other words, they didn't want to follow Jesus anymore. Jesus was getting tossed out. And so the Hebrew writer begins to say some really incredibly pointed, direct, and what we would consider in America pretty harsh things to say, because we would never say this in America, that if you, that if you turn around and go away, that there remains, it is impossible to renew you again into repentance and there remains no sacrifice for sin. I mean, basically what he's saying here is if you apostatize from the faith, you're out, baby, you're gone. Now, this is New Testament writing. Now, we would never say that in America because in America, we're predominantly teaching antinomianism, which means you can live any way you want and you can still be saved. We are functional universalists in America. I have yet to hear anybody preached into hell at a funeral. Doesn't matter how they lived. Nobody, no, we just don't do that anymore. And, and, and so now we're just functionally all universalists. And so we believe everybody makes it. Doesn't matter how they live, what they do, what they say. Doesn't matter anymore. If, they, if we can find a sliver of good, they made it. But the Hebrew writer, man, if you ever read Hebrews, it'll absolutely knock the dust off you. I mean, so listen, uh, uh, this, is, this is the context to which Hebrews 10, because he says some challenging things prior to this, and he's going to say some challenging things after this, but right in the middle, this is what he slides in. So I'm going to read a few things. Listen to this. So he says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day, which is talking about the return of the Lord, approaching. Let's, let's go down to verse 35, because then he picks up in those 10 verses that I'm not going to read to you, again, some of those challenging statements about apostasy and about persevering, and he picks it up in verse 35 by saying, Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Interesting what the promise is connected to, is it not? Doing the will of God. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul, this is the Lord speaking, has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Can you say amen to that? That's not, everyone, everyone say right now, that's not me. That's not me. That's me. All right? That's not me. That's me. All right? Yours and my responsibility is not to question God, but yours and my responsibility is to just do it. Do it. Nike got it from the Bible. Just do it. But the question is, what is it that we're to be doing? 
What is it as a church that we are supposed to prioritize? And what are we supposed to do by way of activity? What is it that the Lord is asking us to do? You, you, you told us, Pastor, that it's important that we gather. Uh, the believers must gather. We participate in a gathering. You told us a little bit as to our identity and nature. But now what do we do with all of this? Are we just to sit here? in seats and listen to someone preach to us or teach to us what is it that we're supposed to do. I'm going to get there. But before we get there, I'm going to talk about the issue of our priorities, our focus, and our balance. This is a very important setup before I get to the actual list of what it is the church needs to do. These three things, priority, focus, and balance, are important aspects of church life which need explanation before I bring to you what it is the Lord says is our mission. There's context to the mission. Now the mission isn't going to be complex. You're going to see this is pretty simple stuff. But uh, in those four aspects, which I will share with you in just a moment, you've got to filter them through these three things. The mission of the church has to be filtered through these three areas. Priority, focus, and mission. What is what does each of them mean? You knew I was going to define these things so you could know what it is. Let me go back real quick. Well, I'll give you priority. Priority means this. Priority is if nothing else can be done. Priority is if nothing else can be done, this must be done. That's priority. All right? If nothing else can be done, a priority is something that must be done. A priority in your life doesn't mean that you neglect everything else in life, right? But it means that if I have to make a choice, if there are choices to be made, or if I come to crossroads, I always go back to my priorities because my priorities mean that if nothing else can be done, this must be done, all right? So remember that word priority. On the screen is the second word, which is focus. Focus uh, properly interpreted means that there are seasons or there are moments that things need your attention. All right? There are always going to be moments in your life where you're going to have to focus on certain things because it needs your attention. Now, your priority, let's just say for an example, and we start giving you examples in all of this. Your priority, let's say, is your marriage. Let's say it's, we're just talking about relationship now. My priority in my house is my marriage. And if nothing else can be done, I got to keep that priority, you know, in its right perspective. I need, I need to make sure I need, I'm working with it. I'm, I'm making sure that it's, it's healthy. It's good. It's all the things that it needs to be. But we also know that there will be seasons where certain things will need focus. For example, let's say, you know, maybe your job, maybe your, maybe your job, something's happening at your job and they're, they're throwing things on you and you just, and you're going to, now you understand what your priorities are, but, but it, but this is a seasonal thing. A seasonal thing where I've got to focus on something seasonally. But I still better have my priorities right. You understand your focus for a season can't necessarily become your priority. It's just your focus. But focus has its place. Even in church life, I'm going to give you a list of four things. Number one of which will be what I would prioritize as the first thing. But there might be times in church life where something happens, something occurs, and there has to be some focus. Now, it doesn't mean 
that you don't understand your priority and it doesn't mean that you should neglect that priority, but it means that maybe for a short period of time, there has to be a focus. Now, if that short period of time turns into an inordinate period of time, then I will assure you it will begin to challenge your priority. And so you're going to have to make sure that your focuses don't all of a sudden trump what may be a priority. Now, I'm speaking very philosophical at the moment, but I'll make this real plain here and just... In just a moment. And then finally, there's the word balance. You have your priorities. There can be focuses. And then everything has to be in what we'll call balance. I'm going to give you a list here in just a moment. And this list may be listed one through four. But it doesn't mean that one that you just, you know, you just focus on one to the neglect of the next three. It means that there has to be an appropriate balance even as you understand there's a priority that takes place. Let's go back to the family real quick. My marriage is my priority. But how many of you know if you have children, they have to be in that mix as well. You got to pay your bills. You've got to do other things with regards to all of family life. And we, we use a word that is entitled balance. Now, balance in the best sense means this. My life, or even my church life, has a healthy sense of appropriate participation in those things God commands and life demands. That's what balance means. Balance means that as I look at life, God's commanding me to do things. Now, now, you know... I don't want to say this. God commands me to pray without ceasing. But if, but if I stay in my prayer closet 24-7, I can't go to work, can I? I can't make money. I can't, you know, pay my bills, supply for my family. So, so understand, while God commands, commands us to pray without ceasing, God also understands that life demands certain things that we have to participate in in order to make it all healthy and, and to make it all uh, appropriate in our, in our responsibility and in our, uh, and in our prioritization. Here's, here's the sad fact. This part of our life usually takes a way back seat to everything that we think life demands of us. There are times you need to look at life and say you take a back seat. There, there are times that happens. But balance means I've got to find that healthy healthy spot. Now, I will tell you this, this word balance for years used to irritate me. Now, re the reason why balance irritated me is because there was a time when people used the term balance to camouflage their compromise or to camouflage their cooling. They weren't, they weren't as passionate as they may needed to have been concerning their faith or their disciplines. They'd say, I'm being balanced. I need, to, I need more balance in my life. I can appreciate a healthy balance in everyone's life. But don't use a word, otherwise you're doing exactly what the secular left is doing by changing the meaning of words. Balance doesn't mean you get, it's not a compromise. I used to use this example. If I'm walking, and my wife's in children's church, she's heard me use this example before, so if you tattle on me, she'll, always, she'll say I've heard that story before. If you're walking down we don't walk much down malls anymore, I guess an outside shopping area, and, and you're with your wife, and you're having a great day, guys with your wife, 
and all of a sudden you go by one of those stores. Let's say you go by Victoria's Secret, or let's, let's say this. Let's say, let's say this really uh, attractive young thing starts walking this way towards you, and you're walking with your wife. But all of a sudden as she walks by, your eyes just follow that young thing as she goes by. Well, what's your wife going to do? She's going to go, poof, she's going to hit you. She goes, what are you doing staring at that thing? What are you doing? And you look at her and say, sweetie, I'm being balanced. You, you, you'd balance them with a two by four up the side of their head, ladies, wouldn't you? That's exactly what you do, and they'd need one up the side of their head. That's not balance. That's not balance. No, no, no. That, that, now we're getting back to focus. <laughs> you focus on the one you with. So this is what I'm talking about. That's what we'll do in church, though. We're walking with Jesus, and some trinket goes by, and we'll start staring at the trinket that goes by, and then we'll want to follow the, and then we'll say, I'm being balanced. And Jesus needs a two-by-four and needs to hit us and say, that's, that's not balanced. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus is saying, I want your focus. All right? Are you, so you're following what I'm using these words because I'm going to give you a list. And what we want to do sometimes in this list is we want, we want to redefine terms or redefine concepts in order to make it fit to what we want and not necessarily what God is asking of us. And so here we go. I want to give you a list of what the church is to do and why we exist flows through the filter of these priorities, focus, and balance. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's a hard juggling act at times uh, for a pastor, just like it's sometimes a hard juggling act in your house to make sure that my priorities remain straight, our priorities remain straight, to make sure that we're focusing on what we need to be focusing in on and making sure that we're producing health by making sure everything's balanced. But juggle we must. Even though it's a hard thing to do, it's an important thing to still do. And this mission list, I'm going to put in priority one through four, but it still flows with focus and balance. So let's talk about the purpose of the church's existence, all right? This is why do, we, now why, why do we exist? What is our purpose? And why are we here today? Why should we be gathering here today? The first Priority number one reason of why we exist, what, we're, what we are to do, and why we gather is this. This is number one, to revere the Lord. If you don't get anything else right, now I'm not saying the next three are somehow diminished. Are you hearing me? They're important. But I'm just saying if nothing else gets right, this has to get right. Number one is our priority, to revere the Lord. What does revere mean? It means we're to honor him. We gather to honor him. We gather to honor his command that we gather. We gather to worship him. We gather to minister to the Lord. I want you to hear that. Maybe you could even write it down, that phrase. Minister to the Lord. Most of the time we'll use the phrase to minister to one another. But do you know that the Bible speaks about ministering to the Lord? This is our highest 
priority. You were saved and brought into his church for the number one reason to revere him, to honor him, to, to worship him. You were saved, the Bible says in Ephesians, to the praise of his glory. You were saved in order just for the sheer purposes of, of reverberating the glory of God. To honor the Lord. To glorify his name. Don't minimize the rest that I'm going to give to you, but this is number one. In John chapter 4, it's interesting, Jesus looked at the disciples and he said this, there's an hour coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit. Now, this is interesting. Do, do you see how they translated this here? This is a small s, right? Not a capital S. There's a reason for that. And truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. There's the capital S. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. I want to dwell here for just a minute. What that means is this, that our number one priority when we gather together is that we come to worship him in spirit and truth. We come to worship. You, you may like hearing the sermon. You may like hearing the teaching. And I'm glad if, if, if you like it. I'm glad if it's helpful. I'm glad for all of those things. And it has its place. But our number one reason for gathering is because we worship. We worship. In spirit, what he's talking about here, when he says in spirit, he's talking about we worship the Lord out of a place inside of us that transcends our mind, our will, and our emotion. In other words, we don't come to worship because we feel like it. We don't worship him because it makes sense. We don't worship him because, uh, uh, what is it, mind, will, and emotion. We don't come and, and decide, well, I decided to today, but maybe next week I won't decide him. No, we, we come because our spirit has been united with his spirit, and we worship him in spirit when I feel like it and when I don't feel like it. And then we worship in spirit and in truth, which means this. We don't worship according to our own dictates. We worship according to God's word. Thank you again for tuning in to the True Disciples podcast. Please be sure to subscribe for future updates and to catch up on past episodes. You can find us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn. You can also reach out to us with questions or feedback at truedisciplespodcast at gmail.com. And as always, between now and next time, we encourage you to go out and make his name great.